Welcome to Disciple City Church Podcast. My name is Jerry Wagner, founder and lead pastor of Disciple City Church in Dallas, Texas. Thank you so much for tuning in to our podcast. Our desire is to unleash healthy disciple makers in West Dallas to reach the world. God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can listen to new messages each week. Thank you and have a God-filled day. It's the most wonderful time of the year, and it's also your notice that you're coming up on the end of the year, so all those subscriptions that you made this year, you know, this is your warning that if you tried a three-month trial or a year trial, you're about to get charged, right? Uh, I don't know about you, but I am notorious for subscribing for things, thinking that I'll get them for free for a couple months, and then getting charged for them. Uh, in particular, Audible. I've done that. Anybody audible? Let that go for a little bit too long. Yeah. Uh, Another one I recently, well, not really recently, but I did do was Ancestry.com. Thought it'd be a great gift for my dad uh, to look into our past. And, you know, we really don't have much of a family story that's told in my family. And so I thought I'd I'd give him the gift of uh, figuring out who's in my family line. Uh, It was, there were some good things that came out of it. I, I really did learn a lot about our family in particular, both sides of my family, or at least my dad's side, we understood that we were, we go way back, like to the American Revolution. A lot of baggage that goes with that, but we learned about ourselves. Uh, but we did learn this. I was able to track how far across America my family had traveled to get to where we are today. Uh, particularly, I looked at my surname, uh, McGee, and I found that we started in Virginia. From Virginia, we moved across the eastern coast moved all the way down to Mississippi, moved to North Texas, actually to Denton, and then back to the southeastern Gulf portion of Texas as well. And what's fascinating about this is that whenever I was born, my my parents had just moved to Virginia, and they gave birth to me there. We were there for about three years, and we moved back to North Texas, and eventually would land in Denton, Texas. Eventually, after college, I would actually move to Mississippi and live there and marry there, What's interesting is that even though I had no clue my history, in a sense, I was walking into these sacred grounds where I would have a connection with my family. And I realized that growing up in Texas, my family had been part of settling there, growing, uh, living and marrying in Mississippi. My family had a heritage there. And what I learned about these certain places that really didn't have much significance to me before was that I had a new weight to these places. I wouldn't be able to be able to understand this if I didn't see the larger map of my own history and not have this kind of emotive or more whole body experience where I'm like, wow, where I'm at is where my family was in 1880 or in 17, whatever. I cared much more about those places after I learned about my own past. It's similar tempting for us to whenever we look at our Bible, we think of it in maps of our terms today. If you're anything like me, you no longer really use a map. You use an app, and that app shows you from point A to point B. The map is just kind of the background as to how long it takes you to get from point A to point B, and it's a blue line. That's all a map is today is is 15 minutes, 30 minutes, or the five-minute less option. That's all maps are to us today. And it's tempting for us to approach the Bible like that, where we look at the Bible like a Google map from point A to point B. We're just trying to get to the application and get me out. 
not caring really to understand the larger map and the larger scope of what's going on in the Bible. There's so many words, there's so many texts where we see this depth of the larger map of the Bible that if we step on these places and portals in the text that they take us all the way back to the beginning. We've been in this series so far called Joy to the World. And in Joy to the World, we've been exploring uh, the book of Revelation. And in the book of Revelation, we've been looking at particularly when Jesus returns. What does it mean for Jesus' return in light of us celebrating at Christmas his first coming? And really, we're trying to prime our hearts and prep our hearts for what kind of Advent series or Advent season would typically celebrate, which is priming and prepping our heart for an active waiting for when, yes, Jesus has come, but he's going to come again. And what we'll see in Revelation 21 today is that following the return and second coming of Jesus, there'll be this uniting of heaven and earth. And the heart behind it all is that God's presence is finally with his people. And there are three words, kind of like map locations, that if you didn't know them before, if you stepped on them, you'd access the past and really get this significant weight to the text. They are heaven, earth, and presence. Heaven, earth, and presence. In our text today, these are important terms. And with the metaphor of a map in mind, we can't just go from point A to point B and really understand what's going on in the point or the point of revelation. Instead, we have to look at our text in the scope of the Bible, what's actually going on, the greater picture of the Bible that will give us color to the proposition I think we consider today. That is, we are to preview his presence to the world as we prepare to be in his presence later. We are to preview his presence to the world as we prepare to be in his presence later. So let's do some digging and let's pray. God, we thank you that our church has a story. Many of us have thought of the story just as its inception with Jerry and Miss Tamara planting this church, but the, the church has formed so much more of our own past and our own family heritage, where we come into this place with our own testimony of what you've done in this place, and we are such a complex organism. That we're not just started six years ago, but the story of Disciple City Church started many years ago. And you're doing a great work in us that we come from a spiritual line of your investment in our lives before we were even born to testify to us today. God, as we approach the text today, I pray that you testify to us your goodness and your plan that's being wrapped up in Revelation 21. Lord, I pray I get out of the way. I pray that our hearts, our minds, our bodies would be receptive to the text today that whatever may be going in our own lives, that we wouldn't push it aside, but we present it before you, God. That we'd allow you to speak into it. That we would not ignore the problems going on today, the anticipation, the anxiety, the tension that comes with the holidays, whether that's ending a course or that's a relationship that's been ended this year and we're realizing that with the holidays. Whatever it is, we pray that you would testify through your scripture today that you have a larger plan. And that we fit into that today. So please reveal yourself today. Do good to your people today. In the name of Jesus, we pray through your Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So if you haven't already, open your Bible to Revelation 21. Revelation 21. We'll be a little bit, a little bit everywhere, but anchored in Revelation 21. This is where uh, Elijah read from earlier, so I'm not going to read it again. But I do want to explain what might be going on here. If you were here in the weeks prior, we learned that Revelation, the book of Revelation, is what's called an apocalyptic writing, an apocalyptic literature. What this means is a prophet of God has received a vision from God on his perspective on history. 
on current events and where it's going. So it's chock full of this imagery, prophetic imagery, these symbolisms all, all rooted in the Old Testament or the Hebrew scriptures. And he's communicating where all these current events and these happenings in our life, the past and the present and the future, where it's all headed. That's what apocalyptic is doing. And here in our passage, we have a lot to look at. And I'm not going to get to all your stuff, just like Ryan did not have a chance to get to everything last week. We just don't have time. If you want to chop it up, I've read enough. I might be able to talk about it. But uh, we're not some conspiracy theorists. We're not going to sit around like Nicolas Cage and talk about something, you know, that we think this might be going on. We're just going to give you our best answer. And hopefully what we're going to do today is pull out what I really think John is trying to communicate to us today. That is the presence of God amongst his people. So at the start of verse 21, or start of chapter 21, verse 1, we see this. The word then, this implies, then implies this is a brand new vision. John gets a lot of visions, a lot. It's just a Polaroid camera. It's just, bam, 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 bam. he's just seeing all these visions one after another. This is a brand new vision that he's seeing. And this vision in particular is after Jesus has come. So Jesus has already come back. He's defeated his enemy. He has defeated his cronies. He has defeated anyone that would stand against him by the word of his mouth. He didn't take a sword to it. He just spoke and they fell. And following all this, John sees heaven and earth. More accurately, he sees a new heaven and a new earth. What we see here is, as I mentioned earlier, these words, heaven and earth, are landmarkers, literally and figuratively speaking, in the map of the biblical story. And most often, they're found together, paired. In a verse, or in at least a couple sentences in the Bible, you're going to find heaven and earth together. What's funny is, that's not how we think of it. We usually think the pairing of heaven is hell. Okay, yeah. Hell, right? Usually if you say heaven, you say hell. Okay. This is heaven and earth. Heaven and earth is all in the Bible. It's a major theme of the Bible. In fact, these two words belong at, really at the heart of what God is doing with human history. And, and, and the whole story of the Bible is about how God is bringing these two spaces Together, not only are they a part of the destination of where all of this is headed, it's also a part of the introduction. If you were to the go the opening lines of Genesis 1-1, you don't have to go there. If you want to, you page one, line one. You see this, God opens with saying, he made the heavens and the earth. Now, when you hear heaven or heavens, you think of God's space, mystical, spiritual, maybe shiny. I don't know what you do. You You've seen enough cartoons to where you have maybe a less than accurate portrayal. I don't know. In Genesis, it's where the birds are, the sky. It's the Hebrew word for sky. Uh, Shemaim eventually would be used to refer to God's space, but here in Genesis 1-1 is where the birds live. And as for the earth, it's where we live. And so when John sees in Revelation 21-1 a new heaven and a new earth, it's not the first one. It's not the first one that he created. It's a new one. But the question is, is this a completely different heaven? A completely different earth? The idea behind this Greek word going on is qualitative. It's a qualitatively new heaven, new earth. It's a similar idea that when Jesus came out of the grave, he had a new body. And when people saw him, some recognized him. They're like, oh, that's Jesus. Whoa, he's alive. Other people are like, Hey, gardener, have you seen Jesus? Because I can't find him. So there's this similarity 
to Jesus, and yet there's some discontinuity. A new thing has happened. A transformation has happened. This is new heavens, new earth. It's recognizable to God's space and our space, but it's different. It's better. It's been transformed. It's similar to the old ones, but it's truly a new beginning. So we have to ask, why is it new? Why do we need a new one? Why? <laughs> you can look around at earth and you can guess why we need a new one. But a new heaven and a new earth. This is where our next key term comes in. Presence. Presence. New heavens and new earth is the context of God's presence in Revelation 21. I've already said this, but God's presence really is the end goal in the story of the Bible, and it's happening in our text today. There's two portions in our text that we're looking at today that will really highlight this idea. Uh, Presence isn't explicitly in the text, but the concept is, the idea is. Look at verse 3. If you don't know how, if you haven't been familiar with the Bible, that's a small number there. Verse 3, look at it with me. It says this, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And now hop over to a verse that we didn't read earlier. Check out uh, chapter 22, verse 5, or actually 22, verse 3. This whole scene goes on for a whole chapter. And so verse 3 here says this. Still speaking of new heavens, new earth, what's going on? It says, no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. How do we see the presence of God here? We see his proximity to his people and their experience of him. His proximity to his people and their experience of him. They are near him. They are with him. They see him for who he is and experience him in his presence. He is revealing himself, and they are experiencing him. Two words there that lean into that. That's dwell in verse 3 of 21, and face in verse 4 of 22. Both of these words are also hyperlinks to the past, where we see face and dwell in the Hebrew scriptures. If you were to look at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis 1-1, Earth is actually where God and humans dwell together in the garden. They existed existed together and they are face to face. God is walking with them. God is with them. They are with him. His face is actually his presence. To be in his face is to be, if you were in my face, you were in my presence, right? It's a Hebrew metaphor of the idea that you're in someone's presence, up in your face, up in your girl, right? This is the same idea. They're trying to communicate... They they are in his presence. They experienced the presence of God in the garden. They're with him. They were near him, and they saw him for who he is, and they experienced him. Now, if you're an ancient reader, which you're not, if you were to see Genesis 1, and you see people with God, you think temple. You think temple. If people are with God, you do that in the temple. They had these temples scattered throughout the different regions. You'd have a regional God, and in this case, at the beginning, we have humans with God. That means the garden is actually a temple. The garden is a temple. Adam and Eve are in the temple of God in Eden. It is the hot spot of God's presence. For an ancient person, they knew that temples had an image of God. 
You would have this figure or this statue or something in its likeness to communicate and represent that God's authority and his rule. And who's the image in Genesis 1? People. People are his image. If they look inside the temple, inside the garden, the image are the people. It's an incredible honor, incredible dignity, and incredibly scandalous in the ancient world. The images, people, were in the presence of God. They see his face, and they were representing him well. That's what's going on in the garden. As many of us know, a tragic story ensues, right? Humans don't live in the likeness of God. They don't represent him well. They rebel against him. And so, and this is where we start splitting the place, God's space and human space become separate. Heaven and earth. Post-garden, God's space would be referred to as heaven and human space as earth. Humans were no longer in his presence to be near him, to be with him, to see him for who he is, and to experience him. After that great break, though, God, desiring to be with his people, does something incredible. He continues to accommodate for his people in the tabernacle and in the temple. You see, these are new places, miniature Edens, these mobile Edens, these places where the people could come again into the presence of God. In fact, inside the tabernacle in the temple, if you ever get to the first five books of the Bible and you're struggling to get through all the descriptions as to why are you listing all these things about the tabernacle, there's curtains and there's fruit on the walls and there's trees. It's all because they want to represent and point people back to Eden. You see, why is there an almond blossom? You know, why is there, why is there a fruit tree, a pomegranate? It's because it was to cue in the people's mind that one day in the past, God was with his people and we're entering back into that again. We're coming back into Eden again, into the tabernacle, into the temple where God was manifesting his glory in the Holy of Holies. And then when Jesus arrives, he's the presence. He houses the presence, but he doesn't simply house the presence like the temple. He is the presence of God. He is the presence of God. In John 1, it says this, that Jesus came and he dwelt among us. That Greek word is tabernacled among us. So Jesus is this new mobile hotspot of God's presence that's moving around the earth where people, when they introduce or get in contact with Jesus, they're coming into the holy of holies in the sense because he is the holy. And Jesus as we understand, was full of the holiness of God. He's full of the presence of God, not because he housed it, but because he was it. And if we flash forward back to Revelation 21.3, it's announced that God's dwelling place, God's tabernacle, isn't simply with Jesus. It's with us, with his people. And in Revelation 22.4, When everyone sees the face of God, and in five, his light goes forth everywhere like the sun, but it never sets. This is communicating that what Israel saw in part in the temple and in the tabernacle, when they hoped to be back in the garden, when those who met Jesus saw the glory of God in one person, there's no longer parameters and buildings and spaces in which the presence of God is not. The face of God is across the whole creation. This whole new creation is inhabiting the the presence of God. New heaven and new earth are the context of where the presence of God is found. And that makes it exceedingly important. If you looked at Romans 8, 
Romans 8, you don't have to flip there, you can if you want. Romans 8, verse 22, you see that Paul says of all creation that's groaning out with birth pains, waiting for the children of God to be revealed. Earth itself is waiting for the day that we are in the presence of God again because it will be resurrected as well. That's the kind of language here, that this earth will pass away like we pass away and it is resurrected to a newness of life where when we're revealed, the earth is revealed and the presence of God is again with its whole creation. All the earth is waiting for this. We, our bodies, are waiting for this. The new heavens and the new earth are qualitatively new because they house the presence of God in wholeness. In the beginning, it was just the garden. Here, it's everywhere. The presence of God is everywhere. And formally, two spaces, one for God, one for man, is now one. Where we had to have a mediator between God and man, now there's simply one place to where you access God. And this all fulfills what Isaiah verse 65, 17 says this, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered anymore. We are seeing a preview of where of all history is headed. God is coming to his people, and he's creating a new earth, a new heavens, and a new body for us. So what's so great about that? We see a few things about why the presence of God is good. First, we'll know him as he is. You see this idea of a river of life, and it kind of harkens back to, again, Eden. There's a river of life from which life comes, and life just bubbles over. It's this figurative and literal idea that our hearts and our body's desires, all that we long for, hope for, and have ever known that we wanted, will finally be satisfied in him. Greater than any spouse, any lover, any friend, any parent could do. And even he heals any wound great that they could cause. He is healing and causing satisfaction in his people. Secondly, in his presence, there's no longer, corrupt, nor, no longer corruption. If you look in the text, there's a sea, or there's not a sea, and you're kind of like, cool, there's not water, okay? New earth doesn't have water. If you're an ancient, ancient Hebrew, uh, you know, Israelite, you don't get on the sea. You don't know what's going on under the water. You don't have research. You know, you just see these monsters coming out of the water. You're like, ah, you know, that looks kind of untamed out there. You know, you don't have research on this. You just know there's food there, and then there's a lot of other big stuff, right? And so sea was this idea of chaos for the Hebrew uh, Israelite. They were thinking to themselves, I don't go in the sea. You know, for me, I still don't go in the sea, and I know what's in there. I don't like the sea. I don't do it. We have this question in our life group where we ask, you know, we do a hot, you get a hot seat, we get to know you, and we all ask these questions. And my constant question is, if you had to be trapped somewhere, the desert or the sea, which would you choose? Every time, I will, I will starve in the desert. I will not get on the sea. I cannot see below the surface. I can see everything around me in the desert, okay? Same idea. Corruption, chaos is not there anymore. It cannot be corrupted anymore. There's no more chaos that come against the plan of God or the presence of God or the people of God. Nothing can spoil anymore. In verse 4, we see this as well, that in his presence, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. In his presence, all trauma, all injustice, all emotional hurt and persecution, all death, all the confusion we experience because of broken relationships, everything that we're heartbroken over, 
all of that at the return of Jesus in this new world that he creates because we're with him, we're healed. Everything will be healed. Amazing in all of this, and one of the things I think I've, I've not learned until recently is this, because it's hearkening back, it's looking back to the first chapter of the Bible, is this idea that where all this is headed is similar to the first beginning. Where we're, and I love singing, but we're not, many times we get this idea that once we die and once Jesus comes back and new heavens, new earth, we're just going to sing. You know, Jorge's just going to lead us in song the rest of our lives. That's, that's how we're going to worship. And, and the idea here is that's not what we do now on earth. We work and rule and create original creation and all that was separated was because people chose not to live the way that God had charged them to. So in this, whenever new earth and new heavens come, it will be similar to this life where we're using our skills and talents, the things we're passionate about, the people we care about, the way we manage relationships and manage our lives in the presence and fullness of God where it's finally complete. There's no more this gap between like, I think it should be like this, but now it's completely new humanity where we're living and fellowshiping, working. We're creating, using everything that God's given us to rule the new heavens and new earth. It's a new genesis that Jesus worked on the cross and now is realizing in Revelation. We too will live like that. And I'm sure they'll be singing. Singing with our hearts, with our hands, with our souls, with our mouths, all of it will be in the presence of God. It will be like this earth, but resurrected. Not the job you don't like, but the things God's gifted you with. Ruling over this new heaven, new earth, in the midst of community of love, in the presence of God, everything that our hearts have desired for. Doing that work that you love, where you're like, that was rewarding. Forever. In the presence of God. We've covered a lot of text here, and I really didn't touch a lot of it. We have to keep moving. We see how everything began in his presence, in only the garden. And how will it end in reality? But what does that actually mean for us today? If you were to look at the writings of Paul, the resurrected Jesus was the first fruit of new creation. That means on the tree, he's that first bud. He's the first bud. What happens if you see that first bud? You're going to see more. It's like springtime blossoming across what I saw in the deep south where you see this neon green and all these plants coming alive that Jesus is that first bud of beauty of this new creation and we are now what Paul says behold new creation you are portions and portals of God recreating a new creation in this life now where God is orchestrating new creation in the death and resurrection of Jesus now continued in you today a foretelling fruit that God will birth life in us and eventually new life and new heavens and new earth in his presence one day. So Jesus began this new creation in our lives. A continuation of him creating new creation is in our lives. And my proposition earlier was this. We preview this presence to the world as we prepare to be in his presence later on. We preview this presence we see both in 
Revelation, but also what we experience now as we are in fellowship with the Holy Spirit to the world as we wait to be with Him in completion later. We see that those who choose to follow Jesus are filled with the holy presence of God. What does Paul call us? us? We are temples of the Holy Spirit. Again, that language again, that we house. You are not the presence of God, but some of you may think that. You house the presence. I don't. Uh, You house the presence of God, but you are not the presence of God. You are a hot spot for the presence of God. You know, Chris here, whenever he first came to uh, Dallas, you know, PJ if you don't know anything about PJ Crawford, he uses his money well and he does not have internet. And so I remember Chris having to spend oodles of money because he needed a hot spot and he wasted all of his money. You are a hot spot of God's presence in this reality that you walk around as a mobile hot spot representing through your conduct and your thoughts, the way you conduct your lives, the presence of God. In fact, when you look at the book of Acts, whenever the believers are filled with the Holy Spirit, you see this tongue of fire coming over them and you're kind of like, that's kind of weird. What's going on there? Why is there fire above them? It's to, hard, it's to look back and say, do you remember the pillar of fire where they led them through the wilderness? Do you remember the fire of the temple, of the tabernacle when God wouldn't inhabit it? So too now the presence of God has come to live within, within you in the world. N.T. Wright says this, God intends his wise, creative, loving presence and power to be reflected, imaged, if you like, into his world through his human creations. The resurrection of Jesus and the gift of the Spirit mean that we are called to bring real and effective signs of God's renewed creation to birth, even in the midst of this present age. God is resurrecting the world, this world that we know it, even our bodies, even this space. It is something beautiful, all because of what? Because he dwells there, because his presence is there. His presence is here with us. And it's caused and created a newness, a new life to serve as a preview for where he's taking everything else. And so we preview this presence through the way that we live, the interactions that we have, and the way that we conduct ourselves. Whether through action or emotion, intention or thought, God is previewing his presence to this world. And so I want to give us just a few ways, I think, that we can preview this presence in the world. And then when I cap off our time, for how we prevent an accurate preview. Now, this is a way that we often talk about, but it doesn't get old. The first way that you can preview his presence is caring about justice. If you look in Revelation, you see that in God's place, there's equity. Everyone is able to access the presence of God. No one is kept at arm's length, and everyone gets to participate in ruling the earth. We here, by participating in justice, establishing right relationships, both with God and with people, is a part of us previewing that God desires his people and he desires equity and presence with them all. Whenever we work towards this and see injustice in our communities, it's not something that we can just brush off. It's a false representation of where God is taking all of creation when we see injustice in our world. Another way that we see this is through community. We can preview his presence through community. For our church members to feel and to function as brothers and sisters filled with the presence of God is a sign of the coming kingdom. Your life group and the way that you love and live with one another is a way to preview his presence and where he's taking history. And more specifically, 
Concerning community, we see this. Comfort. Comfort. Tears are wiped away in the new creation. And in community, there should be more wiping of tears off of our brothers' and sisters' faces. And I feel like it's not something we should have to say, but oftentimes it's not happening, and that's because we're not even close enough to wipe each other's face. We don't know each other well enough to do that. We're too tempted to stay busy or stay fake. I used to be in a... (laughs) I appreciate that. Uh, I I used to work in a church in Mississippi that was literally, uh, every member was 60 years old and up. And what they became familiar, familiar with was pain because they saw their friends start passing away. They started seeing illness take their friends. And in that community, they began to grow deep because they were used to comforting one another in their community. But here in Dallas, We're used to makeup and mascara covering up any sort of pain in our lives that we put on this superficiality that we cannot be hurt. Or if we do hurt, we don't have time. And so within our communities, our schedules are so busy that we can't develop these deep relationships because I don't want you touching my face if I don't know you. It's the same idea with my heart. If I don't know you, you can't get near me. And so One, we can't expect people to let us in if we don't know them. And two, you can't expect people to help you or comfort you if you aren't letting them in. Comforting in community is something that previews the presence as to where he is taking us. We need to hurt together, but that requires vulnerability, which requires your proximity, which requires you clearing your schedule to be with your people. And that's something that previews his presence. A third way that I think that we can preview the presence to the world is through beauty. (laughs) Uh, The third way is this. It's through beauty. It's through beauty. Particularly through creation and preservation. I mentioned this earlier, but in the temple and in the tabernacle, there was fruit and trees and these images that was reminding people they were entering into the presence of God. It is the same today that we have many artists in our midst, and your art matters because it points to something that's coming. It points to that revelation stage where one day we'll be back with our Creator, and it's beautiful. Our art should cause people to stir and to say, God, is that not what so often in the the days where they didn't have phones or tablets, art oftentimes caused people to wonder at another reality. And so with our art and those who create art, you too can point people towards that later date when Jesus returns and he brings everything new. We need artists to use your art to cause that in people and question in people, there's something else going on. And there's something beautiful for where we're headed. Art in all its variety can be wielded by a believer to preview what beauty will be in the resurrected heaven and earth. Preservation. Now, not only is there creation of beauty, but I think there's preservation of beauty. I am very new in this walk with Jesus as far as it goes, so I don't speak as an, ex- as an expert. But if you look at Genesis 1, it's easy to say that our bodies were made good. 
and a revelation, they're still good because God uses them and resurrects them. Some transformed state. In a similar way, our earth matters. It is good to God. The relation between how we treat our earth and our walk with Jesus should matter more as followers of Jesus, especially as justice-minded people because some of the greatest oppression is happening through the way that we're treating the earth. West Dallas is a story of that where the earth was oppressed through how we treat it and people got sick. We have this ongoing relationship with the earth. And the way that we preserve it previews what's coming. People who believe that God created the earth as a testament to his goodness and Genesis 1 should not treat it like a container for our trash. (laughs) That's why we have creation care, led by uh, Claire Howe. Um, Many say this, and I grew up with this, and I've even said this, I think. God's going to make a new one, though. God's going to make a new one, though. Does it really matter? That's a really nice argument until you use it with your body. It's a really good argument until you use it with your body. If you treated your body the same way you treated the earth, trashing it with gluttony and overuse, spoiling it with adulterous behaviors, I think your pastor would probably say something about the way you're living your life. And Jesus prayed that the kingdom would come here on earth. Those are specific terms for specific locations that actually matter to Jesus. We are destroying a place that he wants to fill with his glory. Even so, if you were to say of your piety, and you see this in Romans 6, right before Romans 8, where it says creation's groaning out. Romans 6, it says, shall we continue in sin just because he saved us? And Paul says, what? By no means. If you were to live your life without piety now, it's probably indication that you're not saved later. And so for us to say like, ah, you know, let's wrap this up. We're just going to throw it in the trash and we'll just move on. It's the same posture of heart where we're saying, yeah, God created something new, but it doesn't really matter. If you walked like that with Jesus, you'd be off path. In the same way, by preserving beauty, we point to a future beauty that God cares about in his presence. And the final way that I'd say, and it's not the only way, there's a lot of ways, but the way that I think, think about our local context and what we could do to preview his presence is what I'll call order. It's what I'll call order. We preview his presence through order. Hang with me for a second. God in the Bible is described as a God of order not chaos. He takes that which is uninhabitable and uninhabited, and he actually makes it inhabitable and inhabited. God takes the sea, and he takes the earth, and he splits them and divides them. He organizes and he orders. So too, in this new creation, there's a world ready to be ordered, organized, and used and ruled to God's glory. Chaos doesn't exist, but there's an opportunity to bring ruling through order in his presence. And so too, and many of us in here are like this, you who manage, you who engineer and architect, you who organize data, and you who plan and prepare, your toolkit matters now because it points to a later day of order and restoration. You who sit at your computer and think spreadsheets that are 
blinding, and they would be for me too. But you're wired for this ordering and this organizing, this thinking and critically analyzing, this handling of people and sending them to do certain tasks or obeying to create order within your own company matters because there's going to be a day where it's all order. The way that you conduct yourself now images and previews where God is taking history. How you treat your employees, how you use your data to serve others does matter to preview God's presence. How you manage finances and monies to steward matters because it's order. Our God is a God of order and he creates order. And the best news is that one day he's going to take this chaos and make order of it. And so too, these skills matter to him. Now to conclude, I want to say this. What prevents an accurate preview? What prevents an accurate preview? Because we can't get it wrong. We can use all these toolkits, these different ways of previewing his presence, and it can still be an inaccurate preview of what he'll be like. The first is this, preview without presence. Preview without presence. The second is similar, previewing without purity. Previewing without purity. These ways that God has given us to preview his presence in us and through us at the end of all things can truly be compromised. The first way, preview without presence, simply means this. Far too many of us, followers of Jesus, want to do the work that Jesus has given them to do without being present to his own presence. You are getting by doing the work without showing up to meet with him. Meaning this, we love our passions, our jobs, and our interests. We love what we are doing day after day. Or the the side things, side hustles, whatever you're doing, we love them. But we're not present to his presence that he's given us today in the Holy Spirit and the ministering of his word, the ministering of prayer. This can truly compromise how we communicate what the day will be like when he restores all things. We'll show up and show out our new campaigns, our brandings, our groups, initiatives, nonprofits, or other interests, and be an expert even. But we're absent when it comes to his presence. To not spend time to sit and slow down, to see God, to know God, to be with God, is an inaccurate portrayal of where he's taking us directly to where he'll be. That's the goal, is to be with him. And if you're not with him today, you're not going to have an accurate picture today. We can't be this hot spot of God's presence if we're not interacting with it today and being informed by it in our character and the way that we conduct ourselves. How can you preview someone you don't know or spend time with? It's less previewing someone, it's previewing yourself is what it becomes. If you don't show up to know him, to see him, to talk with him, to shift your life around him, to dine with him, as we said a couple weeks ago, the preview will be inaccurate. No matter how many initiatives, no matter how many of your talents you use that he's given you, they'll be spoiled or compromised by a lack of caring to know the one who's given to you. Secondly, we don't accurately preview his presence because we lack purity. And it's similar to the first, but a little bit nuanced. This isn't to say that God doesn't use broken people. He does. But there's a difference between being broken and him using you and you just breaking everything. God desires to use you, 
But if you are not joining him in the work, you will not accurately preview him to the world. So many Christians who created great startups, initiatives, groups, Bible studies, by not practicing purity because of his presence, everything has crashed down and the world has come to understand a different image of who God actually is. You could probably rattle off a number of names of people who have failed because of adultery, who have failed because of their own lifestyles, how they're jerks in reality, yet they have this great thing that they do. If we don't practice purity, we can't preview his presence. The point of the preview is that people would recognize God's presence and they would desire it. If they don't see an accurate portrayal, and again, not perfect portrayal, but an accurate portrayal, then that preview is not growing the kingdom of God, but growing the kingdom of yourself. And what we have to do is realign ourselves back around the idea that if we want to accurately preview God's presence in this world, while we prepare for the day where we'll be with him, we have to be in his presence because that's where we're changed today. If you want an accurate portrayal, be with him today. Spend time with him through your community. Spend time with him through whatever spiritual discipline you want to choose, however it gives you life. But if you continue to work and give and toil, it doesn't matter if you're just a good person or creative person. That's, that might be even it for our age where it's, you know, you go to heaven if you're creative. You know, if you're, if you're really great at what you do. That's kind of the gospel of our age is that you portray something. But it doesn't matter if you don't know him. And it doesn't matter if you're absent to his presence. And what we have to do is submit ourselves and allow our lives to reorient around the presence of God that's in us now so that we can portray something accurate in the later days. So bow with me, your head, close your eyes. Some of you today um, may have come in here and you never have experienced, quote-unquote, the presence of God. And sometimes that's been used as a way to push people to the side and say, oh, you haven't experienced the presence of God. What we're talking about today is the presence of God is to know who he is through what he's revealed in Scripture and what he makes known to us in our lives, and we experience him. It's not simply or solely or even mostly this emotive experience, but it is to know him for who he is as he reveals himself to us as he is. Perhaps you're a Christian you've struggled with that. And I just invite you that spending time set aside throughout your day, your morning, slowing down to read, to pray, to know, to spend time in the body of believers to receive the sacraments is to know your God and experience his presence. And some of you in here today see what the presence of God does and you have yet to experience it because you have yet chosen to follow Jesus and my invitation to you today is this, that this is open for anyone. Anyone can access his presence through Jesus. But as the scripture says, those who choose not to, the wicked, the liars, the list rattles on, 
Those who have chosen to make themselves king will not experience the king and his kingdom. But you're invited to this good king that loves, that has made constant accommodation, that has come to his people on earth through the form of Jesus and established a kingdom of new creation where our old selves and the all the terrible things we've done and all the terrible things we'll probably do in the future have been cleaned and we are new creation. We're the buds of first blossoms of a new spring where God is bringing a new day where God is preaching to his world a preview of where he's taking it. And you're invited today. Perhaps you are a believer and you've chosen to exit on the presence of God. You've been absent to the presence of God. As we learned just a couple weeks ago, God is knocking and interested. He's at your door and hounding after you. He wants you. He desires you. What good news that Jesus' gospel still preaches to you who are saved. And so, I want to give you a moment to contemplate what we've learned today. What is something you need to stop? Stop doing, stop thinking, stop believing about yourself, your body, the earth, your work, that it doesn't matter, that's useless. What do you need to start? Is it a habit? Is it a new way of thinking according to the text? Is it a lifestyle change? Is it choosing to go to counseling? You just need someone speaking life into you? What is it that you need to start? And then finally, what is it you need to believe? What is it you need to believe today about God and his good purposes, where he's taking this world? What do you need to stop, start, and believe? Father, we look forward to the day when Jesus will come on the clouds with power, with kingly attitude, and he will establish and completion his kingdom. We look forward to that day. I look forward to that day. God, we say, come quickly. Your good news is great pray our hearts would echo the same and say amen. Lord Jesus, come. Thank you again for listening to Disciple City Church Podcast. Until we meet again, shalom.